Hey, this is Jeff Stott, and I'm uh, with Tim, and we'll be talking to him in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to uh, talk to the audience for just a second. Okay, so if, if you're new to the Conversations podcast, I want to recommend that you go to ever how you listen to podcasts. For example, go to Spotify, look up Conversations with Genesis Church, and um, and on there you'll find all kinds of stuff. And we do a little bit of everything, and so. Um, we do some interviews like we're doing today. We have interviewed uh, uh, some national missionaries, church planners, and sp specialty type ministries. And we've also interviewed uh, some international mis missionaries uh, from around the world, which we have one today that we'll be talking to. And um, But uh, the last um, uh, podcast uh, was a little different, and we talked to Alan Newsom who is the co-star in the Mayberry Man movie. And he's a Christian. He was a, a, a member of the church I used to pastor. He was a deacon there, actually. This was when I was in Alabama. But anyway, uh, I would encourage you to go there, go, go to the podcast and listen to it. He talks about behind the scenes and how they made the Mayberry movie, how he got involved in it. And um, he plays, uh, I'm going to say he plays Floyd the Barber in, in uh sort of as a tribute artist to Floyd the Bar in the movie. So anyway, it's a, it's a little different. But anyway, I would recommend that you check that out. It's, a, it's an interesting listen to as you're driving around. I think you'll find it fascinating, especially if you are a fan of the Andy Griffith Show. So, um, but also we also, on our podcast, we also have theology. Um, so we've got several podcasts that walk through some things that we think are important for you to need, that you need to know about scripture and about, salvation about christ about sin and things of that nature the end times resurrection there's a bunch of stuff there there's even a section on there uh where we have three podcasts where we talk about how to study the bible so if that's where you're at i would encourage you to say just go to it listen to it and we just walk through some practical things on how to study the bible all right so today we have uh tim uh louder back i'm pronouncing that correctly right and so, yes, uh, yep. And he is a missionary uh, to the Central America, the Caribbean, you know, area kind of thing, Panama. So, um, uh, well, first of all, let me say thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. And uh, this is a, a very easy way for our folks to and other people to um, kind of hear and see and meet uh, a missionary and, uh, you know, especially since you guys don't can't be everywhere all the time, you know, and visit all the churches. And by the way, this podcast will also be released, uh, to where some other pastors, uh, they'll be able to use it as well. So in their churches awesome. and awesome. stuff. So yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So Tim, just kind of introduce who you are, what you do, and just so people kind of get a feel for who you are. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me on, uh, the podcast today. Uh, Tim and Tina Louderback, we are coming to you live from the tropics, and so I'm in Panama City, Panama. It's hot and muggy every single day of the year. We only have two seasons. That's rainy season, Jeff, or dry season. As far as um, anything else, it's, it's off the table. It's the exact same temperature every single day of the year, and so we know that it's going to rain nine, around nine to ten months out of the year, and then it'll be dry the other you know, two to three months out of the year. Um, we're actually getting ready to wrap up rainy season here at the end of November, first part of December. It'll stop raining before Christmas, and then it won't start raining again until sometime in March. 
but then every day after that from March on it's raining someplace in Panama every single day which keeps the canal full because the Panama Canal runs on rainwater that collects in the lake uh, the man-made lake called Lake Datun, which then is used to raise and lower the locks as ships um, transit the canal from the Caribbean to the Pacific and vice versa. You know, I didn't, so, I didn't even, I didn't know that. I, I just assumed it was some kind of ocean water pumped in or something, but it's rainwater. So, yes. Oh. yes. So the canal was built um, from 1903 until 1914, opened under President Teddy Roosevelt. Um, his goal was to see the U.S. be able to have influence and be able to move ships around and have more of a global power. And so in order to do that, the canal, Panama Canal was built and it's um, a set of locks that raise and lower the ships, all gravity flow, no pumps at all um, to, to make the water happen, uh, raise and lower the ships. And so they're raised up over the continental divide, go across the man-made lake, and then they're lowered again down to sea level because sea level being sea level on both sides, Right. You're trying to get up over the continental divide and then back down. Hmm. Roughly 40 ships a day uh, transit the Panama Canal um, right past our house. We live three blocks from the Panama Canal. And so we see multiple ships uh, each pay around six hundred dollars to $800,000 per ship per day to go through the canal. And so the economy is always booming in Panama due to um, $10 million a day coming in through the Panama Canal wow. into the government. Yeah, Panama thus is set up with things, Jeff, that um, other countries in, say, Central America and even South America um, are not equipped with. A couple of those things are, well, one, just uh, just a, it seems minor, but it's actually a major um, a major um, infrastructure item. And that is water, drinking water. Sometimes when you go to a country, the first thing you'll hear is, hey, don't drink the water. You get a parasite. You don't want to drink water or brush your teeth or anything with it here. Drink all the water. It's, a, it's set up, it's clean water system, and so that's awesome. But another thing is transportation. We have a subway, underground subway system that you can go anywhere in Panama City. There are 1.7 million people in the city, and we utilize, I use the subway metro system every day. Super clean. You're never going to get robbed um, or mugged on the metro, on the metro subway, due to there's a policeman on every train. Wow. And so that's kind of cool security-wise. You just move around the city as much as you want to and and know that you're safe and secure you know all the time and so that's super awesome um other things infrastructure and then i'll kind of move into what we do but uh, another cool thing infrastructure wise is trash um you know you go to a number of countries and you need to take your trash out throw it to the top of the truck um a couple of guys are up on top of the truck trying to smash it down into the truck and make it all fit Whereas Panama is set up just like in the U.S., just like you have there in Missouri with your trucks that come around and compact it in. And a lot of that is all because of the economy, because the Panama Canal bringing in dollars. President Jimmy Carter gave uh, Panama the canal um, in the 70s. He signed a treaty that would go into effect 20 years later. So December 31st of 99, Panama became um, sole responsibility um, took on sole responsibility of the Panama Canal and have managed it, you know, and operated it ever since. And so the country of Panama has a lot more to offer due to that economic income. Um, if they didn't have that, they would have coffee and bananas, which, you know, a number of countries are in little tourism. That's what they have. But because of the Panama Canal, the infrastructure is, is pretty awesome. And so we love serving here. We've been here for almost 12 years 
We went to Costa Rica first, Jeff, to learn Spanish. None of us in our family, or six of us, my wife and I, have raised our four children here in Panama. And none of us could say anything more than hola when we, uh, when we arrived in Costa Rica to learn Spanish. Uh, we went into intense Spanish for one year, graduated from the language school, had never been to Panama before, and the International Mission Board moved us from Costa Rica to Panama the next day. And this is, we've been calling, we've called Panama home for the last 12 years. It's been amazing, raised our children here. Now three are grown or, and they're out in the States, um, either in university um, or in careers in the States. And we have our baby girl, she's a junior in high school, um, still with us here at home in Panama, but all of our kids call Panama home. They were so young when we came on the field, our oldest being 12 at the time, that uh, we have lived here in Panama more uh, longer than um, more than half of our oldest uh, her life. And so her development years are here in Panama. And so then the other siblings below her, everyone calls Panama home. And so it's, it's a pleasure to serve here and, and live here and get in on what God's doing. All right. So let's back up a little bit. Um, all right. So uh, you've been there for a few years, obviously, but let's back up. So give us a, just a, a quick synopsis of first of all, how you became a believer, kind of how that unfolded for you. And, um, and then after that, we're going to move forward a little bit, but let's start with that one. And, uh, so how did sounds great? Yeah. How did you become a believer? T talk to us a little bit. Sounds great. I grew up in a Christian home, but not both, but, but both my parents were not Christian. My mom, um, being a believer, she had us as, as kids go with her to church every Sunday. My dad, uh, rarely went, um, Easter and Christmas. But he was always there ready to go out to eat after church on Sunday. And so we would swing back by the house and, and pick him up and head off someplace for, for lunch. Um, and so I was raised in First Baptist Church in neighboring state there in Kansas, um, in southwest Kansas, in a little place called Liberal, Liberal, Kansas, mm -hmm. um, in the southwest corner there. And so at First Baptist Church, um, raised and I was had a chance actually a couple of years to go, go to go back speak in front of the church and thank um, those leaders who poured into me, who now are in their 70s, in their 80s, and be able to thank them, call them by name, visit with them, because I don't go back to liberal Kansas often um, now. Uh, and so when I do get back, sometimes it's not on the weekend, and sometimes then it's my mom, my mom, my father has now since passed away, and my mother attends a different church. So it's not often that I can even go back to my church that I grew up in. But fast forward to my teenage years, and I still had not given my, my heart to, to the Lord. I still was not a believer. I just went on Sundays, and, and I knew all the Bible stories, and I could, you know, talk with anyone. Um, but I didn't have Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. In, when I was a teenager, I began to be involved in the youth group and still not saved. But one day, one of the other youth invited me to a, a revival, a crusade that was going on, Freddie Gage, if you've heard that name, a Freddie Gage crusade. And so I went to multiple nights, and it was at that crusade, Jeff, that I gave my heart to the Lord and began to walk with him and uh, have my quiet time, get involved in discipleship, and was later baptized. Um, ever since then, I have thoroughly enjoyed 
being in small groups with men, you know, on Friday mornings, going to promise keepers in my, in my younger days, um, big promise keeper events, being a deacon at church as the corporate world moved me around from different place to different place. Um, I would get involved in that church and be involved in whether it was teaching RAs, you know, on Wednesday nights or um, being involved with the youth group and being an example, a role model, or simply leading devotion with my accountability group on Friday mornings. And so, so you, you, uh, you just said you were in the corporate world and they were moving around. So who'd you work for? So I worked with Enterprise Rent-A-Car for a number of years. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And, action. and so I was with Enterprise Rent-A-Car actually when the Lord called us to the, to the mission field. So I had transferred to multiple different states. I started in Kansas, actually worked in Missouri, in St. In Joseph, in St. Yeah. Joe. Transferred from St. Joe, Enterprise transferred me down to Houston. Transferred from Houston out to Alabama. From Alabama, I was transferred out to Georgia um, and then worked in Florida and part of Georgia. It was, it was there that um, God opened up an opportunity for us to adopt. And I share that because we had three children naturally already, um, Jeff. And we had prayed about, you know, do we have a fourth child? We wanted more children. But our thoughts were, there are so many moms and there are so many children out there without moms and dads. So the Lord laid it on our heart to pursue adoption. And we talked with the local adoption agency in, in Georgia um, called The Open Door, walked through that open door with them and uh, ended up in China to adopt our baby who was 10 months old. Now she's 17 years old, as I was re referencing her earlier this morning on the, on the podcast, that she is... Um, a junior here in Panama City, Panama at the high school. But she was 10 months old when we adopted her. And we went to China and we were there for three weeks, taking in the culture, going through the process of adopting. And every day, Jeff, we would see the losses of the world that I had never seen before. Growing up in a Baptist church, being transferred in the corporate world and seeing a church on lots of corners, especially being in the South, most of that, most of my time. Um, in the corporate world, I, as I transferred to Enterprise Rent-A-Car, with Enterprise Rent-A-Car, say, to Florida, and was working out of Tallahassee, we found a bedroom community of Thomasville, Georgia, and there again, there's a church on every corner, you know, or pretty much, so we found a church, First Baptist Church of Thomasville, Georgia, and got involved, became a deacon there, began to serve there, and was enjoying the corporate world, but in, in China, God spoke to us, and said, you know, there's more to life than just chasing the corporate ladder, just climbing that corporate ladder. Um, and so I knew that I needed to be obedient. So every time after, every time I would be, I would hear a sermon, I'd be in my quiet time, my devotion time with my accountability group on Friday mornings. It was like God was talking directly to us. Hey, be obedient. There's more to life than just climbing the corporate ladder. Could I move on to different places? Sure. Could I change companies and go and, and, and chase, chase more dollars. Sure, I could, but I needed to be obedient, and God was showing me that. So we prayed about it for a long time. I would come to Tina and say, hey, this is where I, I feel God's leading, and my wife Tina would say, hey, well, you know, this is what's going on right now. Why don't we pray about it? Let's talk about this in a month or two. Well, not, by that time, something's happening, you know, with work, and so I need to focus on that. When we got on the same page, though, Jeff, we knew that to be obedient, we needed to walk through doors and see where God was leading. God led us to the IMB through our pastor. 
um, I met with, we met with our pastor at First Baptist Church in Thomasville, Georgia, and said, hey, we want to be obedient, but we don't know what that looks like. I can continue to move up in the corporate world with whatever company, but ultimately, am I being obedient? And our pastor simply shared with us, he said, you know, you are if you have pursued where God's leading and God has closed doors, keep serving where you're serving and keep doing what you're doing and sharing Jesus with others. But if God opens doors, be obedient, you're right, and walk through those. So we immediately began to talk with a candidate consultant with the International Mission Board, and one door opened after another. And before long, we were actually selling our house, selling our, our vehicle to our Sunday school teacher, and I was um, leaving the corporate world and not going to chase, the, chase that dream anymore, even though I loved um, moving to different communities, and I loved um, the the corporate atmosphere. I knew that I was being obedient, and God had big plans for us. So we flew to Richmond, Virginia, and did a candidate consult um, candidate conference. They then placed us in some training for nine weeks prior. That was in 2008, and then in all of 2009, we were in Costa Rica learning language, and then in June of 2010, we moved to Panama and have lived here ever since. We'd never been on an international mission trip prior to this, uh, to this trip. And so, sure, we've been back and forth to the States, you know, a number of times in these 11 or 12 years, but this is our first international mission trip. Um, we had never served outside of the U.S. before. We'd served across state lines, but never internationally. And God opened up doors. We feel that we were obedient and we couldn't have asked for more. God has really just blessed us in every way. And so, like I said, our kids call Panama home. We love leading volunteer teams. Uh, I'll share a little bit about what we do there and then kind of come back to questions if you have something. So we lead volunteer teams, Jeff, with the International Mission Board or Southern Baptist Convention. As uh, churches call in and say, hey, you know, we haven't really left our four walls in the last five or 10 years. Where's a place we can serve? The IMB points them in a direction that's best suited for their church. One of those pathways is America's Connect. America's Connect is a program or a platform that my wife and I lead for Panama. It is an IMB opportunity, International Mission Board opportunity for volunteers from our Southern Baptist churches to say, hey, we want to step out of our four walls and get involved in what God's doing in some ministries internationally. And then those people that come and serve internationally go back home and wow, their missions core back home in their church is big time strengthened. Now they are saying yes to volunteering to things that they never thought that they would volunteer at before. An example is they may come here and work in a homeless prostitute ministry that we work in every week with one of our nationals who she, her name's Ellie, has, is seeing, seeing and making great strides in getting girls off of the streets and sharing with homeless individuals. As people go home and work and serve in their own community in their respective state, and they see a, home, uh, a homeless kitchen or a homeless shelter that needs some volunteers, some extra hands and feet, now they say, yes, hey, you know, I've done that in Panama. Why don't I walk through that door, be obedient, and hey, I can volunteer once a month um, for an hour or two. All because they stepped out of their comfort zone someplace else and said, hey, here am I, Lord, send me, I'm ready to serve, and they go back home and they're ready to serve. Could be something as simple as English as a second language as well. 
a Panamanian Jeff knows that if they can get a little bit of English under their belt, they will get promoted at work or they'll at least get a pay raise at work. And so as our Panamanian Baptist pastors um, look for outreach opportunities, they open up a community center for free English classes. Evaluate the Panamanian, the Venezuelan, the Colombian that's coming in to learn a little bit of English. And they say, okay, you're in this classroom, you're in this one, and you're in this one. And they, in a sense, then can rank them on their abilities in English. And we can go from beginner to intermediate to mid to you know advanced levels in a quick fashion by focusing in each week with them in simple little things. If I was to write a sentence on the board, Jeff, that said, it sure was a beautiful sky blue this morning. You're going to say, Tim, it wasn't a beautiful sky blue. It was a beautiful blue sky. And you and I know that. But a Panamanian who's coming to an outreach, they're not calling it an outreach. You and I are. Our Panamanians are because they're looking at having new believers get baptized and plugged into our new church plants that we're starting. So it's a true outreach. But your, your typical Panamanian or Colombian or Venezuelan who wants to learn a little bit of English is coming to the free English course because they want to learn a little bit and get promoted at work. So when I write that sentence of it sure was a beautiful sky blue on the board and ask, hey, what is wrong with the sentence? Most of them don't know that anything's wrong with it. But when I share that the descriptive word actually goes here instead of here, and it's actually a beautiful blue sky. They're like, whoa, they're taking notes. They've got their pen out. They're like loving it, Jeff. And so I just had an inroads with them. And now as I do more of that with a piece of paper in my folder that only I know the answers to, but I'm writing different things on a board and I'm stepping out of my comfort zone with six or eight people in the classroom. I have a translator in the classroom as well so that my volunteers from our U.S. Center Baptist churches have voice all the time. And you, Jeff, are being able to share your testimony. As God leads, you say, you know, hey, I want to share why I flew down to Panama, why I'm here even this week. I'm not here just to teach English. I'm here to share what God's done in my life. I want to share my testimony. That translator, that Panamanian translator is right beside you the entire time in that classroom, in that one ministry or any ministry, to be able to be there and be that voice as you feel led to share. Fast forward to the end of a, end of a given week after teams volunteer, Jeff, relationships are made in a quick fashion. Um, they are us our americans that fly back home they want to put panamanians in their suitcase and take them home with them because they love them that much they've they've bonded with them they've connected with them on facebook or on instagram or twitter or someplace and now they're going to be lifelong friends hopefully they've also had an opportunity to share jesus with them and lead them to the lord and they can be a part of praying for them as they're being discipled and baptized because the work doesn't stop when the volunteer team goes home our panamanians started the ministry and our Panamanians are ending the ministry. So in between, it's as simple as when a local Panamanian Baptist pastor, Pastor Alex, for example, a real pastor that I work with every single week, and he says to me, hey, Tim, or Timoteo in Spanish is what he calls me, Timoteo, when, can, when are you going to have a volunteer team here in Panama that I can um, plan into my English as a second language classes? Keep in mind, they're having English second language classes for these three months. And if I tell him some dates in, in those, within those three months, he is going to use that as an outreach within the local people who are attending to invite their neighbors, their coworkers, their classmates to come. Because why? The Americans are going to be here these dates. Even more people will come to the classes. Even more people will get plugged in 
and be able to have the opportunity to be reached for Jesus and then this discipled and baptized. And so we love it. We love taking a volunteer team, plugging into six or eight different ministries in a week. At the end of the week, then Jeff, I look at each team member volunteer and I say, hey, around a, a supper table on Friday night, Saturday morning, breakfast, share with me a ministry that impacted you this week. Hands down, Jeff, every person at the table has a different ministry that impacted them that week. If I have eight people at the table, eight different, eight different viewpoints, because why God utilized that ministry to impact them personally, as well as to utilize them to impact others in a way that he didn't another ministry for them, because they'll look at each other and be like, really, that was your favorite ministry that out of the entire week. Wow. That was not mine. But then again, God impacted that person differently than he impacted themselves. Um, and so it's amazing uh, the opportunity we, we get to have um, volunteers plug in. All of our volunteers come in on Saturdays and leave on Saturdays. Uh, we plan a little bit of fun during the week. I um, always plan in the Panama Canal, Jeff. And that is because when a person gets home, they're their next door neighbor who's not a believer is never going to say to them or their coworker, their next door neighbor, their classmate is never going to say to them, hey, you went to Panama. What did God do this week? Never. If they're not a believer, if they're a believer, yes, I can see them saying that. But their next door neighbor, their, their coworker, their classmate that's a non-believer is always going to say, I hear you went to Panama, neighbor. Hey, uh, did, you, did you see the canal when you were down there? And that neighbor, that person, that volunteer that came to Panama has the opportunity to say, Yes, I did. Let me tell you about the canal, but let me also tell you what Jesus did this week, how I was able to impact others for his kingdom. Wow. Maybe that person gets an opportunity to share their testimony with their next door neighbor, all because of that bridge made by, they saw the Panama Canal. They may not even been interested in the Panama Canal. They saw it, but they, hey, you know, so it's a, you know, a big ditch and it has some water in it. And other people who are engineers, architecture, you know, um, backgrounds, they're like, wow, that's awesome stuff. That engineering side of the Panama Canal is just amazing. Well, that person's going to relate differently than someone else. But I tell everyone, pay attention to the Panama Canal because that's going to be your bridge. That's going to be your conversation point when you get back home. Um, to fast forward, I guess, to just kind of give a shout out to those in Missouri, I have a couple of churches coming to coming from Missouri um, to serve alongside of us in, next year in 2022. One's coming from your area in Wentzville, Missouri, which is outside of St. Louis there. Mm -hmm. And uh, they've, they've been to Panama a few times and they're coming this coming July with a team um, alongside of America's Connect and working alongside of us. And then another church is coming um, in December, first week of December coming up here this year from Springfield, Second Baptist Church out of Springfield, Missouri. Okay. They're actually coming in December and then they're coming again in June or July. Um, so a couple of trips on the books. But uh, we welcome any, any of your listeners, any of the, the podcast viewers, Jeff, to say, hey, you know, has my church stepped out of their four walls in the last five years? Maybe not. Let's, let's make that happen. Let's go serve and be strategic in what we're doing and work alongside of the IMB. And so it's awesome stuff. We love what, where God has us and where he has us serving. So like uh, for you, when you got to Panama in that area, what was some of the, I mean, I mean for, for a believer to share the gospel at some point, build relationships, you know, just the whole spreading the gospel process, what are the obstacles, challenges that, you know, the Christian who lives there is going to encounter in trying to 
share the gospel. Sure. So the person who lives here needs needs an opportunity to multiply out a ministry that God's given them. And so I want to use an example that that I see happen every week, every month. I have a friend named Daniel. Daniel is a Panamanian. He's a senior in college at the University of Panama. Back to English, knowing that how what the, how that is a catalyst throughout the country, Daniel came to me and he said, Tim, any chance that a volunteer team can serve on my campus of the University of Panama from time to time? When you have a team here, can we have what I would like to call English club? And I said, Daniel, share more with me what that means. And he said, Tim, if I as a Panamanian, in regards to your question, Jeff, he said, you know, if I as a Panamanian invite people to English club, they're on my campus, they're not going to come. Because why? I'm just another Panamanian who's studying English as an English major at the University of Panama. But I, who am I to say that I know English better than the next Panamanian? He said, but Tim, if I can have my core group of people who are my friends already studying in the English club, but we then know dates of, hey, these two particular days during a certain week, Tuesday and Thursday, your volunteer team can be here on campus. We're going to let other classmates know in our own major, as well as in some other majors of students who just want to learn a little bit more English on campus, that there is going to be English club in the English department on these two different dates. He said, Tim, I guarantee you that we will have 50, 60, maybe 80 to 100 students show up because why? The Americans are going to be on campus. He said, we never see people from the U.S. on our campus. He said, if they come to Panama, they come to see the Panama Canal and maybe go to a beach. Um, but they're not coming to our university campuses. So he said, you know, we don't see Americans. So if Americans are to show up, U.S. Southern Baptist churches to show up on our campus and walk through the hallways and walk across our campus grounds, which we have the freedom to do. So we walk along those campus. He said, everyone's going to know on the entire campus that the Americans are here today. And he said, we will have advertised it in advance and they may or may not have paid attention. But he said, Tim, they will pay attention that day because word will spread that there's a volunteer team or there's a group of gringos, you know, a group of Americans that have just arrived on the campus. What are they doing? And he said, and so they'll come just out of curiosity. They'll sit in English club and they may not really understand much but he said, Tim, if we have a translator in, in, in each small group of six or eight, 10, and we go into 15 or 20 different classrooms because we don't have class in the afternoon, only in the morning, um, when it's, um, and we don't have class in the afternoons and we have it at two to four, he said, they will show up. And he said, let's have a translator translate everything, but they're hearing it in English. He said, a lot of them will be English majors studying at the University of Panama, and they are going to show up because they know that they will get corrected. So what it comes down to is, one, having a foreigner, us as Americans on campus, and two, being able to say, hey, I'm going to push back a little bit when you say something wrong. Back to my example of it sure was a beautiful sky blue this morning. A Panamanian is not going to confront another Panamanian and say, hey, it wasn't a beautiful sky blue. It was a beautiful blue sky because Panamanians as a culture are not into conflict. They would rather just eh, no big deal and go the other way than ever have any kind of a conflict.
Different cultures are different. You and I know that, hey, we don't mind a little pushback. You and I, Jeff, I'll push back with you and you'll push back with me. That's what we do. And, you know, no, no bad feelings. We're just going to push back a little bit. And so they love it that our culture, as an American culture, will push back a little bit in a loving way. And what does that do, Jeff? It builds a relationship really quick. If I'm sitting in that classroom and I point out a few things that they can improve on, I've just built relationship with the people in Panama. That's how their culture is. They're very relationship-based. I can knock on doors in Panama and they're going to come to the door. They're going to come and sit outside on their porch with me and they're going to offer me coffee. You want a piece of bread, you know, everything. Maybe invite me in. In the U.S., a lot of times we're like, Hey, don't act like we're not home. Don't answer the door. Don't let them see us. You know, um, we have our door closed, but the culture is completely different here. It's all about relationships. And if you can find a key, a little thing to be able to build a little bit of a relationship with someone, doors are wide open. So when I knock on people's door and I simply say, Hey, I just wanted to visit with you. We're actually going to have a, um, English club at the local uh, public school here in your community coming up on these certain dates. They may or may not come to English club, but they'll be receptive and responsive for me talking with them on their front porch. And now I've got a chance to pray with them. I've got a chance to hear what's going on in their life because they'll open up a lot more than say we would in our own culture. In our culture, we may not want to share what's going on in our life and a person who our sickness in our family and such and such. As a Panamanian, they're going to tell me all about their mom, their sister, their brother is going through a traumatic situation right now. Why? Because they know that I care to pray about that. And so even though they're not a Christian, they, they're open to that and they want to have other people praying. So as I pray, and then I can relate to that and maybe share my testimony of what God did through a certain situation in my life and how I can relate to that. I've just built a friendship. Now, three days before the event that I'm having that public school or in that park in their own community where we're church planting in, because that's why we're in their community is to church plant. We're planting a new church in an area that there is no evangelical work at all going on. So I'm not just picking a random school to have English club or English second language classes or whatever. I'm picking a school that I have connections in, maybe with the principal or a couple of teachers who have given me open access to have some, some space to be able to have an event. And now I'm inviting the neighborhood because why? There's no evangelical church at all. Now they'll come for a free event. We'll build relationships. And now let's open God's word. Back to my friend, and I'll close with this and see what kind of questions you have, Jeff. But back to my friend, Daniel. His whole goal wasn't an outreach or wasn't to have English club. His whole goal, Jeff, was to have Bible studies on his campus on the University of Panama and to multiply those Bible studies out or cell groups out throughout the next number of years so that when he was a senior, which he is now, there were multiple Bible studies happening on campus multiple times during the week and their opportunity to spread to other campuses throughout Panama City. We have 26 universities and colleges in Panama City, just in the city I live in, Panama City, Panama, right here. And so to have those campuses have Bible studies on those campuses, that's his dream. We are in the process of making that happen. Currently, we have six Bible studies happening on the campus of University of Panama. Wow. And we have a couple of others in smaller universities. None of that was going on three years ago when Daniel came to me and said, hey, Tim, can we have English club? And now we have Bible studies that are multiplying out. 
It's all about meeting a need, building a relationship, and the Panamanians know, as my Panamanian national believers know, that you and I, as Americans, volunteers from the U.S. are coming from our churches, they are a magnet to multiply out those ministries. And so we're super excited to utilize volunteers and ministries whenever God provides the opportunity. All right, so just to kind of get a feel for <clears throat> that area. So how's the, well, first of all, you're in a restaurant, okay? And so, I mean, is, uh, are we still good? I mean, is things happening over there for you yet? Or do you need to relocate? Uh, no, not, not yet. All is great. They haven't turned the lights on yet. And so okay. All right. okay. <laughs> and they're going to open for lunch, but hey, everybody's on Latin time here, Jeff. And so even yeah. though they have a start time, eh, 15, 20 minutes after that posted start time on the door is yeah. when they typically open. Gotcha. I have special connections with them. And so I just said, hey, can I use your Wi-Fi and, and jump into the restaurant for a little bit yeah, okay. before you guys open? They're like, yeah, come on in, Tim. Sure, sure. All right. So, uh, all right. So you'd mentioned some churches and stuff. So just kind of describe a typical church in the Panama area. I mean, we, you know, we're talking 25, 50 people. We're talking... I mean, yes. just kind of give us a feel for what is church like for people there? Awesome. So our typical Panama Baptist Church, they are small. When I say small, somewhere between 50 and 80 in the congregation. Um, we, ha we have a few that are 150, 200 in their congregation, but it's not, it's not common. There's no such thing as a mega church in Panama. In Panama. They are all small. Um, but with a focus on church planning. And so I go back to Pastor Alex that, are, that I made reference to earlier. Pastor Alex, him and his church, um, they are church planning in north, south, east, and west of their congregation. They went to their congregation a couple of years back, Jeff, and said, hey, who knows somebody that lives north of here? Who lives somebody that lives south of here that's related to you that opened up your back patio, their backyard, maybe a little space underneath a carport that we can have a devotion time that we can have a small Bible study in a community north of our church. How far north? He was very open. Is that five miles? Is that 20 miles north of our church? But he knows that there, are, there is not an evangelical church in every community. And so he looked at strategically where his church is and said, you know, let's plant a church north, south, east, and west. Currently, they're planning north and east right now. They're still looking for locations for south and west because not everybody has the ideal place. When you're church planning in Panama, you have to take into consideration not everybody in Panama has a vehicle. Most people don't have vehicles. You and I in the States, we have a vehicle, sometimes more vehicles in our driveway than we have drivers, but not as a Panamanian. You're using public transportation. So church looks like here in Panama, to answer your question, Jeff, it looks like um, what is close, where is it close to public transportation? Is there a bus stop? Is there a metro subway um, stop that's near that Panamanians can come up out of, the, out of the subway or get off the bus and easily enter the church? If a church is planted, started someplace that's far away from a metro bus stop, you're not going to um, have success at all. It's not going to grow. You may have five or six neighbors attend it on a regular basis, but you're not going to have a growing church. You're just going to have really a Bible study. And so to be able to implement the functions of a church and to have communion with, one, communion with one another, to have tithing going on, to be able to step out and do missions themselves in, some, in another part of the city or, or countryside, 
they um, need to be a growing church. And so that's one of the things that churches look for. So most all of our churches, um, those that are growing are going to be near a metro or subway site, um, 50 to 80 people, and then ultimately their church planning. And so the church isn't continuing to get bigger and bigger because they're not wanting to build a building. Instead, they're church planning. And so they are raising up leaders, developing leaders in their church, Jeff, that say, hey, I'll take that church plan on. I'll be the pastor. I'll be the leader of that church plan. I'll drive there every Sunday morning. I'll take the subway or the bus there every Sunday morning. I'll be a, a part of it during the week, um, evangelizing the neighborhood, taking their core team. So ultimately, the church itself stays around the 50 to 80 mark because they're consistently church planning. Um, if a church is not church planning, typically they're dying. It's a dying church. You know, we see that sometimes in the U.S. as well. If it doesn't change with its dynamics, um, whether that's uh, demographics um, of the community or if that is, for here, transportation. If the metro closes up a metro line and the bus line and there's not any transportation to that site anymore, that church is going to die. They need to re look at relocating to an area where there's ample transportation. Um, and then also just having uh, believers, um, members of their church who are ready to serve. Uh, when I go back to, when I think about English classes, Jeff, it's not about just the 10 or 12 people that would typically say teach the, the classes or be available to even you don't have to be certified or anything like that to teach the class. It's simply looking at a piece of paper and writing down what I said earlier and saying, hey, what's wrong with the sentence? Well, I have the cheat sheet in my folder. I know it wasn't a beautiful sky blue. It was a beautiful blue sky. So I simply circled that and let's talk through that. And the Panamanian is speaking Spanish all the time. When I have a volunteer team, I have a translator translating that all the time. But each per person in the congregation has a role. So that that English as a second language class has four or five members of the said congregation in those classes as well. They're learning and they're also responsible for encouraging people per, via WhatsApp each week to say, hey, WhatsApp is a, is a third party app owned by Facebook. We use it a lot here in the third world, but say WhatsApp because we don't have text. So they WhatsApp a person and they encourage them. Hey, um, have you done your homework for Tuesday night? I just finished mine. Maybe they're not as serious about their about learning English as the person who they're WhatsApping, but the goal is to reach that person for Christ. Their goal is to love on that person who's lost, that's attending the English class, meet them in advance, pray with them, have coffee outside of class, encourage them throughout the week, and then what? Lead them to the Lord in a few weeks. Because why? They've built a relationship. They've loved on them and loved on them well throughout that week well, or multiple weeks. Well, Tim, I appreciate you uh, spending time with us. We can go for about 45 minutes or so. And uh, I hope for the listener that this has been interesting and I hope it's been uh, insightful. And maybe uh, you might get some individuals or other churches down the road, you know, partnering with you guys and going there and, and checking it out. And I also say this, I said, look, I always tell people that, hey, when you go on vacation, just do a little research to see who are the missionaries there, you know? Yes. And That's just awesome, take, Jeff. you don't have to take the whole day, but just at least say, 
take the missionary out to lunch, let them hear the story and just see what God does, you know, with them while you're there. So if you're going to Panama anytime soon for vacation, you know, you can look Tim and his family up and I'm sure he would, uh, and you can even probably go to the restaurant he's in right now. So, yeah. All right. So now I know that if you're listening, you can't see what I'm about to hold up, but if you are watching, um, okay, I'm holding up this year's prayer guide for the International Mission Board. And Tim and his team, they are on day one. Okay. So, and you get, they'll tell you a little bit about it. And then there's some prayer requests at the bottom. And so uh, I would encourage you to, uh, Listen to this and uh, pray for them on day one whenever you decide to do the week of prayer for the uh, international missions this year. Um, all right. Well, uh, Chris, uh, Chris, I'm thinking Chris Creech. It's all right. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> okay. yeah, me and him are doing, he's an associate pastor. Me and him are doing something here in a couple, couple hours, doing another podcast for something else. But anyway, uh, Tim, it is good to have you with us and, uh, uh, thank you for sharing uh, your story and your work and your ministry with us. Um, and so any last words before uh, uh, we sign off on the podcast? Just thank you for this opportunity to share with everyone. Uh, we have a blast serving alongside of volunteers. We love where God has us. And so thank you for this opportunity to share a little bit about missions in Panama. All right. So now if you're uh, tuning into the podcast, over the next couple of podcasts, we're going to be uh, interviewing different missionaries from around the world and so and just seeing what god's doing with them and how how god works where they're at so i uh, hope you come back hope you need to listen to some more until next time <laughs>